Well, hello, welcome to the Bedside Matters Podcast. This is the podcast that addresses the medical issues that impact all of us every single day, and hopefully we'll give you the answers you're looking for so you can be more informed and healthier. I'm one of your hosts, Peter Tilden. I'm joined by Dr. David Kipper, Anna Vicino, and today, Cedric the Entertainer has joined us. It's nice to see you because you always make people smile. That's a really nice thing to be able to do, you know? That's good. That's the best medicine, man, right there. Right? That's right. Welcome to the show. Said, do you, are you comfortable talking at all about the issue that you had with the embolus? I think it would help a lot of people to understand your journey through that. And do you mind talking about that? No, not at all. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's very important because I know a lot of people have been dealing with these and it's, it's, it's a thing is so inside your body that you have no idea. I mean, especially to be aware of the symptoms, right? But, you know, I was traveling a lot during that time, flying, going different places, uh, had movies. I was on tour and my family was in Hawaii. And so I flew to Hawaii and I, you know, I noticed I was having a little problem breathing, but, you know, never really gave it much thought, you know, you know, all right, cool. I'm a little, you know, I'm a little overweight, but then you start to notice, like, I can't like walk to the car. Like I'll get to the car and need and need to really, you know, take take a breath. And I was like, okay, something's weird. Got on a plane, flew from Hawaii to New Orleans. I was about to do a movie, and the next day, I was walking to the van to go, and I just couldn't. I was tired, and I got to the van. Was you know again not knowing what's going on. I go to get dressed when I had to take a break, putting on my socks. I called the producers then. I said, yo, something's going on. I, I can't keep my breath. And so he was like, very cool. Let's go to the hospital and check you out. And it was a full-on emergency. And that, I mean, it, you know, it was a blessing. You know, it was, it was a blessing. It was a instant ICU, instant. Dude, you got a blockage. Like, you got a you got a full embolism in your, you know, your lung. I feel very blessed that, that, you know, it was able to be caught and that, you know, but it, it was one of those situations where we know it's taking a lot of people out and we got to be a lot more aware of that, like, uh, the blood clots. And so, you know, we did the blood thinners, you know, for many years, we monitor it. Even now it's one of the things that we just got to make sure that we, you know, kind of always are paying attention to, but. I was going to say, if you have one, does that mean you're prone to develop others? Is that why you go on the blood thinners? I'm not on blood thinners at this moment. Like we did it. That was 2013. We probably stayed on it for a while, you know, yeah. go mm-hmm. different levels, go on, go off. Uh, we'll just kind of, you know, watch it at, at times. And, uh, but I think that is a good question for Dr. Kipper. Like, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that you do find, uh, that, you know, once you've had it, like I'm definitely always kind of looking for, um, Oh, wait a minute. That was, I, I breathed. I, that was weird. What happened? I had to breathe too deep. I had to breathe too deep right there. <laughs> yeah. It is a good question because it's not the same answer for everybody. It really depends on why you have the embolus. There are people that have an embolus because they've had trauma to their legs. Some people have coagulation problems that they inherit. And people that travel a lot, like Cedric, that, that you're not always moving your legs around. That's another precipitant. So if you know what causes it, then you can taper the amount of uh, time that you need to be on these blood thinners. But to, to Cedric's specific issue, 
he had what was called a saddle embolus. And a saddle embolus is as serious as it gets. And that's the, the, the veins in the leg, and they meet into a common place. Those veins, if there's a clot in those veins, they end up in the lungs. So he had, he had clot all the way through that connection that really increased the odds of how serious this was and how potentially fatal this was uh, up several notches. So you did, in fact, have a very serious problem. But the genesis of that problem was from traveling and not moving his legs around. And so you're careful now of when you travel. I always wear the, the compression socks now, you know, and, and luckily they made some that they have some. You can go on Amazon, guys. And you look really cool. You don't have to have the ones with the compression style. The only problem is I take them off and you can see the marks. It's still like my, I become my grandfather when you take them off now. It still looks like you're wearing them for about two days. Imprinted. <laughs> they still close you up pretty good, but they definitely, you know, it's definitely a precaution that I, I don't take any chances with, you know. Hey, Dave, is there anything else aside from, so we're talking about compression socks, but seriously, so that we're not compromised. Because I was sitting on a plane and I go, do I need to get up now before I get the clot? Like, how often do you get up? And what else could you do? What else aside from compression socks? You don't actually have to get up and walk around. You can just flex your foot against the seat in front of you, uh, especially if it's a loud, noisy kid. You can yeah, just... Yeah, kick their seat. And and you, there's things you can do from your seat. But yes, you and if you're on a long flight, you certainly should get up and move around and and you should talk to your doctor about what risk factors you have. Some people take an aspirin before they get on an airplane, which thins uh -huh. things out a little bit. So there's a there's uh -huh. a cheap trick for that. Very but, cool. Um, we were very lucky not to lose Cedric. David, air, airlines and airplanes, because you're talking about traveling, are they well-staffed and well-provided um, for as far as an emergency? I always wondered mid-air emergency. Yeah. Like if something happened, if, if that had happened on a plane, are they prepared for that stuff? Some are and some aren't. They all now have kits where they have a number of different things that can be helpful depending on the emergency. But the way they're prepared is to go over the loudspeaker and say, is there a doctor on the plane? That's how they prepare. Has that ever happened to you, Doc? Have you ever had this? Like, really? Probably 10 times. Tell the one, because I know the one where you were a hero, but not necessarily traded just like a hero. We were on a flight back from Tokyo and coming home. It's a long flight. And about two hours into the flight, they asked for a doctor. I didn't hear it, but my girlfriend that I was traveling with at the time jabs me in the ribs and raises my hand. And so I went back to see what was going on. And this man was dark blue in color at this point. He was unconscious and he was in a row with five people. And I asked if anyone spoke English because I needed sort of a help. And this woman raised her hand and said, nurse. And I thought, oh, my God, great. That's the only word in English she knew. So that wasn't much help. But anyhow, I CPR'd this guy. I, I had to undress him. He was in a three-piece suit and CPR'd him. And he came to, which was miraculous, frankly, um, not from anything I did. It was just miraculous from where he started out. And so then the pilot comes out and asks me, do you want to go back to Tokyo? That's about two hours. Or do you want to keep going to LA? That's about another eight or nine hours. And I thought, I'm not sitting here for eight or nine hours. 
and this guy isn't going to last eight or nine hours. So, well, we should go back. And the whole time I'm thinking we're going to go back, the paramedics are going to come and grab this guy, and then we're going to hit the air again. Well, it turns out in Japan, there are laws about, you know, when you can take off and you can't take off after eight o'clock at night. So we, I blew that. Also, it wasn't two hours because they had to dump a lot of fuel. Then we land in Tokyo and the paramedics get on the plane. And I'm thinking we're in Japan. This is going to be as state of the art as it gets. And these guys came on the plane and they took me. They, I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not the patient. This, and the, uh, Pilot came out and said, no, no, you, this is the law here. You, if you resuscitated him. And so now I'm in a van going to a, what is the equivalent of a county hospital. It wasn't a great place and the van wasn't great. And he arrested again. I CPR'd him again. The two guys driving this van spoke no English. So, um, anyhow, we get to the, we get to this little hospital emergency area guy comes down that's another story and and so i'm i turn him over i go back to the hotel where i don't know how many hundreds of people on that airplane had to spend the night <laughs> and uh two hours later i we're getting up again to get back on the plane and there was a part of me that thought wow that was really cool you know this guy is alive and and how, how sweet <laughs> um everybody walking to the airplane on the tarmac was flipping me off was <laughs> nobody was happy i i i dismantled everybody's plans and even my girlfriend wasn't so happy with me and it was sort of her fault but same life piss off at 747 <laughs> yeah all the people yeah thanks so much sir here's another nuance to the doctor on the airplane i may because i've had enough experience so they'll call for a doctor and at some point four doctors show up and then it becomes a conversation. Well, I'm a radiologist or I'm a psychiatrist or so being an internist, you're always the one taking care of the patient. So there's always that little meeting <laughs> that happens. Oh, right. In prepping, I looked up your bio, you know, you want to see a person's bio and you know, the, the movies you're in and you know, the TV shows. And then I look at, and I go, so wait a minute, he started doing stand up. But then he was an American Buffalo, the David Mamet play. He wrestled on WWE Raw. He's had a variety show. He's has a barbecue sauce. He did a novel about his grandfather, which was kind of about his grandfather. He's got all these charities. He's part owner of a racing team. You have a hat business. You have a wine that donates money. How are you not stressed? That's a fair question. Right? I guess they haven't introduced my gummy line. No, I've not. <laughs> <laughs> A new way to entertain people. Of course. CBD. Yeah. Super relaxed, guys. Super <laughs> relaxed over here. No. <laughs> What's your day like? I mean, it's got to be regimented. How do you even have time for this? I really, I mean, I, I really do love to work. I mean, it's one of those things. I kind of always have used comedy and the ability to make people laugh. Uh, you know, I think about it coming from St. Louis. I'm very, I'm very blue collar about it. I like, I like to get up and be busy. So, and, and I have a, you know, a, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that I love to do. So I'll just stick my hand in things and find the, find the room, of course, like, you know, and then lately in the last, you know, a couple of years of being able in, 
with COVID, just being able to work from home. You just find yourself, you know, hey, let me feel the let me fill the hour up with something. That's when I wrote the book. Well, uh, you know, he had those two years and of course been being on strike in our business uh all summer. I just, you know, we started the barbecue line, um and were able to, you know, able to close deals and get it into Walmart and uh Amazing. And, and of course shoot uh shoot a reality show because we didn't need writers. And so we shot a reality show. So it's just all about like looking for the gaps in the windows and just go for it. Cedric, tell us about your book. Oh yeah. So, you know, this is this this book is out. This is uh Flipping Box Cars. Uh Flipping Box Cars is a novel. It's um it's a it's a story that I basically a fictional story I created uh off of real stories about my actual grandfather. So my grandfather had passed long before uh, I got a chance to meet him. Uh, my mother was really young when he died, and yet, you know, these stories would kind of like in most of our families, these stories would would kind of just transfer things that he did, you know, and and this man that he was. And so I would just start to kind of fantasize and have these machinations about him and just made me create a whole story about his life. So I took the two or three stories that I would hear from my mom and my uncles, and then I just expounded upon it and made up a whole world. It's very much like um, Walter Mosley, if you let you know any of those devil dress and, and Orange Blood Grove and those kind of things. Like it's very, very much that world. Or uh, I say I liken the character to uh, Boardwalk Empire, like Chalky Thompson on Boardwalk Empire. So fun book, fun read, paper going on, a lot of, lot of mystery and story, little bit of you know. So cool. Very cool. It's fun. It's doing. What, I got the audio book too. I did the audio for anyone. Oh, I was gonna say you have to read your own audio book. Yeah, yeah, yes. We got to hear that voice. Flipping boxcars. Everybody get it. If you go to Amazon.com, Apple, anywhere, anywhere books are sold, grab me right now. You're expecting it soon to be a TV show or movie, I'm guessing. You have to. Of course. You know, that's, I mean, again, that's the next step. I go right to it. So we, uh, you know, I immediately got into like finding, uh, you know, people to help me convert it over to both a movie. You know, what was interesting is that uh, some kids did a, a reading for me in New Jersey and they turned it into a stage play. They took like two scenes out the book. It performed it, and I was like, "Oh, it gave me a whole other idea." So this is an opportunity to to make a stage play out of this, a series, and or a movie. So, so I have a question for you because this is amazing. You, your ideas, you're an idea man, and you're an execution man. You're like you're doing both. Yeah, you get the ideas come to you. You're executing it. You're creating all kind of media. How, when does the time that you say I'm going to shut it down? Like, do you ever? Does your brain ever shut off? Is my question. Uh, you know, sometimes, I mean, I, I, I definitely, my wife insists upon it, Dr. Kipper, and, <laughs> at yeah. times, but, but I think that, you know, I like to do what I do, so I don't do it with a lot of stress. It's never really something where I feel like, oh, I gotta get this job done. I, don't, I never really approach it like that. Uh, so, but, but, you know, I love to, you know, I love to go on vacation. So usually if we go away, then that's when I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to be somewhere and literally be on the ocean and in, in the sand and sleeping and, and, you know, like taking it easy, you know, drinking margaritas and all that kind of stuff. I'm much, once Good. on vacation, that's what I would do. So don't, don't even call me. Well, we needed to hear that you're a little bit human. So thank you. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> well, I know, you know, in reading the interview, you said you don't stress because you keep it small. You just, it's your family and the same friends you've had for a long time. Yeah. So you don't stress by overextending yourself. But 
you know, I joked about the opening, how much you do. A lot of this stuff is outside of the box and comfort zone. When people go outside their comfort zone, that's when stress happens. Yeah. So when you take on a Broadway play and you haven't done that before, or you're acting in a drama, which with some heavy duty people and you're standing there, yeah. don't you have an inner voice that says, holy crap, I'm an imposter. What am I doing here? Are you confident? Does confidence carry you? Like what's, what's that emotion like? You know, it's, it's definitely moments. I mean, you know, Broadway was probably, I always tell people that was my greatest challenge as a entertainer and a, and an actor, because with comedy, I kind of can rely on my kind of natural wit and quips and you can just be in the moment and something will come out and you just trust that after a while, you just kind of trust it. And now, you know, but when you, when you are in like Broadway, I had to learn that it is about the playwright. So you cannot change words. You cannot ad lib. You can't do none of these things that I can do on a TV show or in a movie, like in a, in a movie, because I'm kind of hired to be me. I have the ability and, and oftentimes the freedom to just, hey, if I don't like this line, I can say it my way, if you will. You can't do that in Broadway. And I learned that. Like, I had to learn that. Like, it was very specific. And David Mamet is even more so. And so that was the one where I feel like I grew a lot as an actor. That, you know, I always tell young, you know, people ask me what was the, you know, toughest thing I had to do. It was that. Like, doing Broadway was was a, a place where I had to learn to be a professional, learn to be a different kind of actor and level up to the people, you know, that do it. And John Leguizamo was in the play. I mean, he's a Broadway, you know, juggernaut dude. So that's what he does. And so you don't want to come in there and and be the, the weakest link. And so, yeah, I, I, I recognize that. But, you know, once I have those kind of opportunities, I go to work. That's when I start looking at it. I start playing, you know, and Broadway taught me that. So when I had to do scenes with Ethan Hawke in a movie, you know, I'm, you know, I'm prepared. I'm not, I'm not going in there thinking like, oh, I'm just, I'm just sad. I can just show up. I'm like, no, this is, this is one of the greatest actors. What is my role? What is my, what do I want to bring to the role? How do I want to challenge him as an actor? How do I challenge myself in these scenes? And I go in prepared. That's usually the way I think about everything. You sleep well, or is your mind racing when you sleep? You get an eight-hour sleep. I sleep pretty well. I think uh, you know. I had to get. I just recently so we had a sleep number bed, and it was my side not working right. <laughs> it was too soft for me, and I was not sleeping well, and we couldn't figure it out. And so we had to call the people, and they had to do some adjustments, you know, where I can, you know, pump my side up. I needed my bed a little firmer, and you know. And my wife has the kind of, uh, what's the, the, the sleep comforter, you know, so you got the pillow top on top of the bed yeah. and then my side's already soft. So I'm kind of slinking and you need the Cedric setting, you know, I just suffered, you know, for a while. I just, I just slept and, you know, and most people love a good soft bed. They love to jump in like, well, and I need a certain amount of firmness, yes. you know, I think that, you know, that helps me sleep better. So, you know, I would often get up and get on the floor, like, and stretch, you know, a little bit, like, put my legs up and get my back to, you know, because it, it was always right there in that, that back. It, it's probably got a lot to do, do with getting rid of my belly, too, though. I got to do that. That's for sure. I'm guessing you never had a waterbed. Am I right? I did. Come on now. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell me different reason, though, Doc. <laughs> By the way, how long after people bought a waterbed, even at that time, did yeah. you say this is the coolest thing, you feel it, and how many weeks in is it before you go, this is one of the worst ideas 
I've ever had. I've said it was cool because I don't admit I'm an idiot. The problem is, is that it's no emergency get out the bed. Like you cannot hear a kid scream or uh, or someone rattle the door and you can just hop out the bed and like, yo, be ready. No, the water bed is like, <laughs> there's no way I can get out of here. Every, every exit is like the Titanic. It's like an escape. Yeah. I got to get <laughs> Yeah. And then when you decide you don't want it anymore, you got Nobody else wants it either. Oh, I'd rather move than the process of getting that water out. And oh my gosh, yeah, it's a whole water beds and pool tables. Careful what you wish for. Yeah. So, Cedric, the other thing is with sleeping is cold and hot. My wife likes it. Oh my goodness! Like that, we if we have nine fans going on in my house. Nine fans. During when it's a heat emergency, the Connet actually calls out and says, Could you turn down a couple fans for the grid? Is, yeah. what, what do you does your wife like it hot? Do you like it cold? Or what's the what's the deal? I like it cool enough to use the covers. Like I like I like to be covered up, but I but I want the room cold. So it's like it's a weird thing because I don't want to really be cold when I sleep, especially my feet. But but you know, like if I get hot, I'll just throw the sheets off. But I love the coziness of pulling the blanket. Of cold enough, yeah. The, but I don't want the room hot. So that's the... Well, see, my wife wants Linda Blair cold, like where you can see your breath. Yes. That's, it's like, that's like, good. Whereas <laughs> a couple of corpses in the morgue, yeah. yeah. And by the way, you with the cover on you. David, what about that? The way, and we never talked about this, the weighted cover. Have you ever bought one of those weighted covers, Cedric? You know, that's supposed to embrace you like it's a 20-pound weighted cover. The, the, supposed the, to sleep the heavy better? blanket, yeah. Someone gave me one of those, of course, at a, like a charity event or whatever, and I thought it was weird. I thought, <laughs> I thought, I thought it made me think about being little when we used to be like take the blankets and you build like a tent in the house and you blow there. But then my older cousins would trap us under it, and we would be the little cousins trapped under there, and we like, eh. and that's how heavy weighted blanket. It was felt. it was a PTSD situation. Yeah, apparently. yeah, it was yeah. like, oh no, <laughs> someone get my cousin. So you had mentioned before you got to get rid of the gut. Are you buying into any of this new uh, the new diabetes drugs that are? I mean, it's like the craze is the craze is on. The diet world has changed so drastically recently. I know. I've, I mean, I've had so many friends use them. I tried them, and and you know, it just hasn't been effective for me. I don't know exactly you know you know that one or two percent that doesn't work you know i really have a you know that's been a, a probably my greatest struggle is being able to get my weight down and and i want to do it for a number of reasons of course i'm you know health wise I'm, I'm about to be 60 next year um and and you know and then you know cosmetically you know i mean you know for the vanity of being on television and being able to wear clothes. I love clothes. I love style. And so you find yourself like, well, I can't get that off the rack because, you know, right. they don't make it for big boys, Those, right? Yeah. And so that it, be, it becomes psychological, but I've never been able to land that plane right there. And so, you know, I thought the shots and, and because I'm not a, you know, consistent eater or dieter or workout person, the shots worked for so many of my friends, but I and it's just we haven't been able to land that plane. So I don't know now. Now I'm now now I'm getting weird about taking medicine in general. Like now I don't want to do anything, so I'm drinking green juice and just figuring it Cedric, out. Cedric, last week we did a show on exactly this. That it's a diet I think you're going to like. It's a diet <laughs> where <laughs> that's true. 
it's I, it's a diet where for breakfast you get dessert. Here's how it works. You it's a high protein diet and you have a lot of carbs, high carbohydrate intake, and at the end of your breakfast, you get either a cookie, a donut, or a piece of chocolate cake. I have your attention now. And <laughs> and and at lunch, you just cut out the carbs, and at dinner, you cut out the sweets. And people that stayed on this diet for months, up to a year, continued to lose weight. So I was going to talk to you about this off the air, but I think here's something that you might like. Yeah, but you can't have carbs in the afternoon or the evening. What's the fun in that? So you you have yeah. So the idea is what you your your metabolism is working fast and is at, in the morning or something or right. You, but, you burn off the carbs throughout the day, basically. You can have carbs at dinner. You can have sweets. You can have well, you the can sugary have like vegetables stuff. And- yeah. Anyhow, just throwing out another option. But it's interesting. It's what you said. It resets you. It re- you got it. In the morning when you need the energy the most is when it burns it off so you can have it then and you just, just change where your head's at. But supposedly also the craving changes because of the way your body is resetting. I like, I mean, I think those are really going to be the things. My, you know, like having, having for me the mindset to, you know, really complete the task, like to see... Of course, you want to see some, you know, fairly quick results, which is interesting because my body does, you know, like if I stick to anything for, you know, a week or two, I'll see the results. But then, you know, it's the fact that once you see it, I've lost eight pounds. I, <laughs> I think I've got it from here, guys. Let me have a, let me have another, let me have another cookie. Yeah, you're like you're like this is this is gonna last forever. I'm gonna trend this way forever. But wait a minute, are you a structured guy though? Because apparently, to do all the stuff you do, you like structure. Yeah, I'm sure you have structure, meeting schedule. Are you structure with a diet? Is it easier for you if somebody says eat this for lunch forever? No thought is involved. Just do it. There's no <laughs> there's no way. If I had the discipline, I would be like you know, all right, cool. I, you know, I had my cookie. Done. Done. Got it. You had your breakfast cookie. Now it's time. Get out of here. Yeah. Get away from me. Well, how were you doing COVID? How did you manage with that? Because you're not going out to me you were home. I, it's funniest thing is I watched you do, they created that show where you did it for your living room on the sofa. Oh, yeah. Which I loved. You didn't even, and by the way, it just shows you. I've seen people do variety shows with all kinds of stuff going on and they got to feed them props to be funny. You sitting on your sofa was about as good, good as it gets. You look like you're having the best time hosting that show. No, that was fun. That was that was so that was to such the mood. Like, I mean, we I let the crew come in. It was like a limited number of people that can come in. They we based it in the back of the house and that was it. It was fun. It was a great show. They actually kept it going, which is which was wonderful because, you know, they buy them they buy them like four at a time now. So I make four specials a year with that show, which is fun. That's amazing. So COVID did COVID change you drastically in any way or no? I mean, mainly the the idea for me that you recognize you can get a lot done. You know, I mean, as far as like when you don't, we don't necessarily have to be places in order to even, even to have meetings or do something like this. Like, you know, like this is, this is really cool. We can sit here and do this and know that, you know, we've had this conversation with people. We can spread it out there. And I didn't have to drive in LA traffic to go to anywhere, right? Which would change this whole dynamic. If I had to be somewhere at 11 o'clock in L.A. 
that means that I got to think where I live. I got to think about leaving my house at nine, nine thirty, just to be somewhere at eleven. You know, you know, I just was on the treadmill. I just, I did, I did the treadmill, came down. I look cool, but I'm, I'm pretty funky, guy. <laughs> the truth comes out. Yeah. So you know what's amazing? With stress, it finds out you know how to control the stress. Even with COVID, most people would go into a negative. You don't go to negative often. No. No, you know what? No, that is something too that I think you know. Maybe growing up, I you know I'm from St. Louis, a uh, single parent house. My mother was a school teacher, and she just you know she always had this kind of up vibe. Like I guess you know because she taught elementary kids, so she was never really like a, a person that was down because she uh, felt, I guess she always felt like she had to lift the kids up. So her energy was like that at, at home. So my sister and I always kind of grew up. You know, waking up to a song, happy good morning. Everybody's got to say good morning to each other. We give hugs. Hey, good morning. Every, everybody around here, the the housekeeper, we hug everybody. Yeah, good morning. This is the, so it, I get that energy off the top. That's great. But that makes a difference, man. Don't you think? That that attitude is, is all the difference in the world Absolutely. as far as health, David. Don't, doesn't that impact health in a big way, David, the outcomes? Oh, my God, yes. But, you know, you, you, if you get that growing up, that becomes your your nature. That that's what you know. Question for Doctor Kipper before you go. Since you got him, you know what I mean. I've always um, he's always been very 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 kind to me, and I think that I still feel like for me is everything is kind of related to weight. Like if I started to feel like a little pain on the on one of them, I feel like you know if I can just remove get the weight down, and so. You know, I guess that's the biggest thing that I've been trying to understand, this idea how the body works, what's the metabolism, when, you know, of course, the older you get, how can, you know, how can you get the the mental psychology to work with what's, what you physically need to do? Like, I've never been able to lock those connections in a way. Like, I know what I need to do, and I wake up with that desire, you know, and I'm not like, you know, we we talk about this. I'm not like a really big drinker. I don't really eat bad, in my opinion. I'm not like a person that's got to, like, always be eating chips or always having candy. I'm not that kind of, you know, sweet person. Uh, I, you know, I drink alcohol probably only when I'm with my friends, so never am I sitting around like I got to have a drink and I'm always. So I'm just really finding it hard. Like some people could just, you can see them and they can eat whatever they want to and they're always down and then and yet, yet, you know, I find that any time I go on a program, if I don't stay to it, then it just goes away, and it goes away very quickly, and it's all psychological in my mind. A lot of this boils down to motivation. People people get motivated for different reasons, and, you know, somebody gets sick from lung cancer that's a celebrity, it's in the papers, and it's it's in the press, and a lot of people stop smoking at that point because they're, they're afraid. If your life is working, and said, I would think of all the people I know, your life is working. You have this amazing family. You have a wonderful career. Everybody loves you. The motivation has to come in at some point. You know, you mentioned you're, you're almost 60, so people that get to a certain age and they're not functioning quite as well, and the weight has something to do with that. Well, that's a motivating factor. So that may be the time when people start to pay attention. And everyone's motivated for different reasons. But I think if there was one answer to that question, it would be you need motivation. 
I see myself, the greater self, like I can visualize it, you know. I just got to, I got to, yes, I got to lock that in, man. Like, I feel like I, right now I'm in that spirit where, where so I'm going to, of course, I'm going to try to, to eat this, this, this diet, this food, the way you said, because, again, if I can have, uh, you know, things that I can kind of lock into uh, that I can know, like, all right, these, this is, you know, I, I can give myself choices throughout the week, which is great about a TV show. In, in the sense that I can have my meals kind of set up, you know, and someone will do them for me. And I can have some variety if I know what that variety is. It doesn't have to always be, you know, the exact same meal every day. But, if you know, if this says I can have this, then I can have that. And then I can have it timed out as well. Like literally know when I'm going to eat, know why I'm supposed to eat, you know. Then you can have a donut for breakfast. I kind of lean more toward the chocolate cake, but whatever. That's all right. You get to, you can do that apparently with this one. I'm a yellow cake with chocolate ice. Yes, guys. that's the one. With TV shows, and I know you got the the neighborhood. Your latest shows that just picked up for sixth year, and when shows get successful, craft service table gets even better. I mean, I went to Seinfeld. Jason's a friend. That looked like they imported a deli. It was like they were making fun to see what they could. An ox with gravy on it, and they delivered. Didn't matter. It was a number yeah, one show. Yeah, yeah. So you're standing there, and I know even though you say you're not pressured, there's a pressure of putting on a show each week. And I know the writers, when the only joy they get is when's food coming, I'm opening, I'm, I'm ordering a terrine or something, I'm ordering sandwiches like bigger than my head because that's the comfort, that's the relief, that's the break. Do you find that that goes on in the TV show? You go, you know what, screw it, I'll start next week and I'll have the pastrami, whatever, because they're delivering anything you want. Yeah, that, that's the thing. So I, that's what... The last few years, I just literally put myself on a program and I go to my room. I don't even go by the food place. I don't even go over there. The, the problem is, is that we also, as, as you know, kind of perks for the staff and the crew, a lot of the actors, we like to order the food trucks for people. So you got your regular meal. Now that's when college comes because you say, all right, I got my regular meal. And oh, by the way, there you, go. <laughs> you know, Max ordered the Philly short rib truck. <laughs> You're like, ah. it's calling your name. Right. It's yeah, right yeah, out yeah. there. I got a piece of grilled chicken and a salad and everybody's out there eating Philly cheesesteaks. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I've already had my cake. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> You got to ban the food. I know how easy when you're a celebrity, man, they bring in, like I said, congrats on six years in a show, but the food's just going to get better. Um, the book is called Flipping Boxcars, kind of about your grandfather and that world and pre-civil rights, correct? Yeah. Post-World War II, pre-civil rights, 1948, we take you uh, into the world around the 4th of July and take you into his world of this crime caper he's doing uh, with bootlegging liquor from, uh, from the Chicago Irish mob. You're a unique man. I mean, it is amazing. Variety shows, there's nothing, there's no format that I looked up that exists in entertainment that you haven't done or can't do or haven't done successfully. So congratulations. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. What a pleasure having you on, man. David? Thank you, man, so much for giving us your time and sharing your stories. You're awesome. Thank oh, you Oh, you know what? Here. One last thing. Were you going to be named after a healthy cereal one time? Did you really try and name yourself? I've seen it, but I got to hear it from you. Did you name yourself Cheerio after the Cheerio cereal? I did, man. That was early in my... <laughs> it was another comedian that used to go by Kodak. That's where I kind of got this, you know, I was young. 
and he was a very popular comedian and he went by Kodak and I thought that was so cool, like, you know, take a picture. So, you know, whatever. And then I like I had to I had to see Cedric and I was trying to think of something fun that was like, boom, and see, cheer, cheer, cheerio, cheerio. That was it. You really got a cease and desist from General Mills. They don't mess around. And they said, no, that's a no can do, sir. Well, there goes my son, Apple, as far as his stand up <laughs> career. That's over. <laughs> Cedric, thank you. Thank so, you. Thanks so much, for verifying the story. Take care, Cedric. Good uh, seeing well, you, I'll dude. See you soon, guys. Later. Bye. Bye bye. The information on bedside matters should not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information on Bedside Matters is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends. We'll see you next time.